uh, I thought the evil one was messing with me this morning because I couldn't find my Bible and notebook anywhere. But it turns out it was just Neil, so thanks, Neil, for that. <laughs> um, yeah, so this morning we're going to continue through our series in Mark um, that's been, I guess, almost a year now. And last week, uh, Matthew taught us about divorce, which if you came back this week, thank you for coming back after that, because that's not an easy, that's not an easy uh, message for, for a lot of us. But I'm really thankful that I'm part of a church, that we're part of a church that doesn't skip over the hard stuff in Scripture, that we go verse by verse. And you know what? If we were just choosing topics to, get to, to preach on, probably wouldn't choose divorce. But when we just go through the Bible verse by verse, we come across those difficult subjects and we tackle them. And I'm just thankful that that was Matthew last week and not me. But I'm really, really, really thankful that I'm part of a church that does that. Um, so this week, so last week was divorce, and this week uh, Mark addresses and Jesus addresses children and faith like a child. And so that's what we're going we're gonna to talk about. Um, and so the Gospels, you know, in the Gospels we find all these different accounts of Jesus and the interactions that he had with people and the lessons he taught his disciples. But think about over his ministry, he probably had thousands of interactions with people. And all of those interactions are not recorded in, in the Bible, right? Like, I mean, think about how many pages and how many words it would take to record every single interaction Jesus ever had. So the gospel writers, obviously inspired by God, they chose certain interactions to include in their books in order to prove a point, in order to teach, to teach something. Um, and so, you know, when we read the different Gospels, we see sometimes the same stories with different details brought out. Not that they're contradicting each other, but just that that author may have included a different detail in order to help, help prove a point, whatever point that he was trying to make. But um, there are some passages that are word for word in all three of the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And this passage that we're going we're gonna to read today is word for word verbatim in all, in all three of those Gospels. So I think that must mean it's pretty important, and the lesson that Jesus was teaching is pretty important here. So um, the fancy word for that is triple tradition. You know, there are passages that are considered triple tradition. means they're word for word in those three Gospels. So this is one of those passages. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to dive into it. Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for a church that's willing to tackle the hard subjects, Lord, and... Um, Father, we just pray that you would teach all of us something from this passage today, Lord. We know that um, in your interactions, you are always teaching a lesson, Father. So I pray that you would just help us to catch that lesson this morning and not just, not just know it, Lord, but apply it to our hearts and our lives. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. All right, so we're going to be in Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 13. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms, and he blessed them, laying his hands on them. So pretty short little passage here, but what's happening is children are being brought to Jesus, and the disciples are kind of like Jesus' uh, bodyguards or body men, like they're around him, you know, they think that they're doing this very noble job of protecting Jesus. So parents are bringing their kids to Jesus, and the disciples are like, no, go away. Like, he doesn't have time for kids. He's, he's too important for that. But Jesus rebuked the disciples and said, no. Children like these are who, who, who belongs to the kingdom of God. 
And so Jesus rebuked the disciples, and he used it as a teaching moment. And so that's this interaction. And like I said, it's word for word. Jesus' words are word for word in all three of, in all three of the synoptic gospels in this passage. So there's, there's three points we can draw from this. And really, there's one overarching point um, that Jesus is trying to make kind of when we read this passage, we, and we'll get to that. But I think there's a couple other things that we can draw from it as well just by observing how Jesus interacted here. And the first is that Jesus loves children. You've heard the song, Jesus loves the little children. It is true. It is, <laughs> it is grounded in scripture. Um, he does. He loves children. How do we know? Well, verse 14 says, when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. I came across that word, you know, I'm, I'm a Pickens High School and Clemson educated person. I'm like, I've heard the word indignant, but what does it mean? Uh, so I looked it up. I looked up the Greek word. I'm going book- to butcher this, but it's uh, agonikteo, not mantiteo, but agonikteo is the Greek word if I'm saying that right. Uh, and the literal definition is showing anger or annoyance at what is perceived as unfair treatment showing anger or annoyance at what is perceived as unfair treatment. So Jesus, seeing that the children were being turned away by the disciples, he felt anger. He felt, he felt aggravated uh, because he, he saw that these children were being treated unfairly. Jesus loves people who are treated unfairly. He does. You see it all throughout Scripture. Um, and he was, he was mad. So we see that you know, Jesus cares about these kids. He, he, he cares about children. He was very upset. Uh, as Matt mentioned a few weeks ago, there was another passage in Mark chapter 9 where Jesus addressed children. Different, he was using it as a different teaching point, but he addressed children. And as Matt mentioned, in these times, children were viewed a lot differently than they're viewed in our society now. Um, during these times, they were, they, were, they were considered low in society, the lowest of low. They were considered not worthy of time, not worthy to even speak um, in groups of adults. And you know, they were not valued, and the disciples thought that they knew how to best manage Jesus' time. They thought, you know what? He didn't have time for these kids. You know, there's more important things for Jesus to do. But Jesus said, not so fast. Uh, he said, bring the children to me, such as these, these belong to the kingdom of God. Um, and so like Jesus, we should love children. That's the first point. Like Jesus, we should love children. Um, now, there's a warning to this, though, because Sometimes in our culture and society, we see both sides of it. We see children who are mistreated and who are abused, which is a very unfortunate situation that we see in our society. But we also see children being idolized, and we can let the pendulum swing too far. Um, my teacher's in the room. My wife's a teacher, so I, I see this a lot. You, if you have to deal with parents, you probably know they think their kids are perfect, and they think that their kids can do no wrong. And if you know, they don't make a 100 on, sometimes, you know, my wife teaches honors, so she has some of the kids who are used to making really good grades, and if their kid doesn't make a 100 on every subject, it's the teacher's fault, not the kid's fault. You know, we see that. Um, and in these cases, we're idolizing kids sometimes. Um, there's a quote that I saw this week. Um, it's a, by a lady named Trillia Newbell. You may have heard of her. She's written several books, but she, she said, children are an incredible blessing, but dear young parents and those wishing to be, they are lousy substitutes for our all-satisfying Lord. If we put pressure on them to satisfy us in any way rather than steward the gift, we will be miserable and so will our kids. Uh, I was just thinking about that. You know, anything that we put in place of God to satisfy us is an idol, including children, including good things. Um, 
gift. Yeah, I mean, children are a gift, and God has given those of us who have children, has given us that gift, and we should steward that gift well. We should love our children. We should parent them to the best of our ability. But if we put them in place of God, that's where, we, that's where the pendulum has swung too far, if we begin to idolize them. Uh, I, I think about, you know, I've seen, I don't personally know of a, a personal example of this, but I've seen people who, you know, the dad might be obsessed that their son is a great football player. And so the dad wishes he, he could have been a really good football player. He wasn't, but he puts pressure on his child to be the best football player ever. And if that child doesn't live up to those expectations, you know, then the child is punished for that. That's just an example. Uh, it's not healthy for us to put those expectations on our children to satisfy us in the way that God should satisfy us. Um, so, you know, again, we should love our children. We should parent them well. We should be there for them. We should treat them well but we shouldn't idolize them and put them before God. Uh, so just kind of a warning is let's, let, let us not keep our kids, let our kids keep us from God. I'm a new dad. I got a four-month-old. That's something that I'm trying to learn myself. Um, I love my daughter. If you mess with her, I'll probably kill you, but <laughs> she shouldn't take the place of God in my life. Yeah, obviously nothing should take the place of God. Any, anytime we put anything before God, that's an idol. So again, Jesus loved children, we should love children, but we shouldn't let the pendulum swing too far. The second thing that we see here is that these parents, they brought their kids to Jesus, right? They brought their kids to Jesus because they knew that Jesus could do something for them. We don't, we don't see that these kids were sick. They weren't, you know, a lot of people come to Jesus for healing. There's nothing in this passage that says that these children were sick or needed healing, but they, the parents wanted Jesus to bless their children. That was something very common during this time period you know, blessings. And so they brought their children to Jesus to be blessed. And we should do the same thing. You might say, how? Jesus is not here on earth, you know, physically, in a physical sense. Like, we can't take our kids to Jesus. Should we bring our kids to church? Yes, but we should take Jesus to our kids. That's the number one thing that we should do, was we should take Jesus to our kids. As parents, it's our job to share the gospel with our kids. It's the most important thing that we could do. Now, not only in words, but in action as well. And it can't be either or, it has to be both. Our kids see everything we do, um, you know, it's the good and the bad, it's very hard. But they should see Jesus in us and they should also hear about Jesus from us. It's very important, it's essential. And so it's important to bring your kids to church, that's great. The, the church, this body should reinforce should reinforce what, what our kids are hearing at home. Um, they shouldn't, quite frankly, if you're a believer, your kids and my kids should not hear about Jesus for the first time at church. They should not hear the gospel for the first time at church. As parents, it's our job. It's our job. And it's hard. It's, it's very hard because people who live with us, our family, is the hardest people to share the gospel with because they see the ugly parts that we can a lot of times mask when we're in public or with other people. But our family sees, sees our hearts. They see the good, the bad, and the ugly. And so because of that, it can be hard, but it's our jobs. It's the most important thing we can do is to tell our kids about Jesus and to disciple our kids to be more like Jesus. And again, church is important. I'm not discounting the importance of church. It's important for our kids to see us in community. It's important for our kids to see us at church. And that's another challenge. You know, it's... and. 
I haven't faced all these challenges. We just have a four-month-old. I know that as kids get older, there's different challenges. I'm not an expert parent in any way, shape, or form. I do not claim to be. I have, I'm learning every single day and have tons more to learn. So please don't hear me that I'm saying I'm an expert. But I'm just, I'm just telling you what I see in Scripture. And it's important even at an early age to set good habits and good rhythms so that our kids can see what we value and can see what's important. And so church and community is an example. Sometimes it take, we have to sacrifice things to come to church and be in community, especially when we have kids. It's not easy to get a four-month-old and take her off of her nap schedule and her eating schedule and all that stuff to get her to church. It'd be a lot easier just to be at home. Um, it's not easy to, if you have a kid old enough to play sports, it might not be easy to tell your kid, no, you know what? We're not going to do soccer this season because it's on Sundays, and, we, and church is important to us. Being in community with other believers is important to our family. Those are just a couple examples. There's lots of other examples out there, and that's challenging, and that might step on your toes, uh, but Scripture steps on my toes all the time. So we have to prioritize certain things in order to show our kids what's important in our lives because they see that. And again, it's not about Sunday mornings. Being a Christian, you know, coming to church on Sunday morning does not make you a Christian, does not make me a Christian. But when we follow Jesus and we value him and we place him at a, in a high place in our lives, then our lives look a little bit differently than the lives of people who don't, who don't value Jesus or place him first in their life. And so we're going to be in community. We're going to come to church. We're going to be around other believers. We're going to put our kids in those environments so they can grow and so the other people can reinforce what our kids are learning at home because Yes, our kids should hear the gospel from us first, first and foremost in the home, but when they're back in kids, and I, I was over at Matthew's house this week, and I heard Liza say that she loves when Zach and Becky are in, in elementary, and you know what? If Zach and Becky, Liza loves Zach and Becky. If Zach and Becky are saying the same things in kids back there that Matt and Abby are saying at home, that's going to help reinforce that in her life, and that's going to help her say, you know what? What dad and mom are saying is true and is, is what I believe. And so church helps reinforce what we should be teaching at home. So challenge, make community a priority, even if it's inconvenient, even if it takes sacrifice. Whether you have kids yet or not, even if you don't have kids, you know what, going ahead and setting those patterns so that one day if you do or even if you don't have kids, we should still prioritize that in our lives. So those are two points that I kind of see just kind of as a peripheral points in this, in this teaching. But Jesus' main point, and the whole, whole reason this interaction is included, is that Jesus is teaching that we must be childlike to enter the kingdom. We must be childlike to enter the kingdom. We see that in verse 15. I'm going to read verse 15 again. It says, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Now you might ask, what does that mean? What does it mean to receive the kingdom of God like a child? Again, we have to remember that in this day and age, children were viewed differently than we view children for the most part now. They weren't viewed as innocent and pure and sweet. Children were viewed as an inconvenience. They were, they were viewed as needy. They were viewed as... Um, messy and dirty. But this passage kind of sits between two others. If you remember two weeks ago, Matthew preached about sin, and Jesus kind of used some hyperbole. He said, if, Jesus said, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Now, we, we talked about that. Did Jesus really mean cut your hand off? No, but what he meant is we should take sin that seriously because sin prevents us from entering the kingdom. It does. 
So, so two weeks ago, we talked about that. Next week, I'm not going to spoil it, but next week, Jesus is going to talk about how hard it is for someone who values riches to enter the kingdom of God. So we talked about sin prevents us from entering. Valuing riches above all else prevents us from entering. So we, we have the kind of the two things that prevent us, but what allows us to enter is being childlike. And that's what Jesus is addressing this week. The kingdom belongs to the childlike. Any allegiance to anything or anyone other than God prevents entry. So this is the point that Jesus is making. He's saying that Christianity isn't just for the rich. It's not just for the powerful. It's not just for men. It's not just for adults. It's not just for the learned. It's not just for people who have it all together. It's not just for those people that society values. The kingdom of God is for people who are like children. The kingdom of God is, is for the childlike. Now, again, the disciples thought that these people who are valued by society were more, were more deserving of Jesus' time. He thought that adults were more deserving of Jesus' time, or people who society thought high of, but Jesus said, no, the kingdom of God is for the lowly. So Jesus, we see this all throughout Scripture. Jesus dined with tax collectors. He dined with sinners. He spent time with lepers and even touched lepers, people who society ostracized. Jesus not only spent time with them, but he touched Jesus flipped everything on his head. Society, the Jewish society, thought that for a leper, that if a clean Jewish person touched a leper, that that person would become unclean, that the Jewish person would become unclean. Jesus flipped that around, and he said no. He said, by me, as, a righteous, as the righteous one, touching the leper, I don't become unclean. I make that leper clean. Jesus flipped it on his head, and it's a beautiful thing to see. And so, in the same way, Jesus says no. Being with the low in society doesn't make me dirty, but it makes them clean. He flipped it on his head. Jesus was showing that value is not based on status. Our value is not based on our status. In our society, anytime you meet someone new, I think the first thing that gets asked as adults is, what do you do for a living? I hear that all the time. Like, you know, I meet someone, and I do it. I'm guilty of it. I'll say, hey, like, what do you do for a living? Because we, in our culture, we assign value to what people do for a living. We do. That's, that's not the right thing to do. Jesus, Jesus, and we see it all throughout Scripture. I think we have it on the screen, Genesis 1.26. We see that our value is not based on what we do. It's not based on our place in society. But let's, let's read Genesis 1.26. This is, the, this is in the very beginning. It says, God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So our value is not based on anything that we do, but it's based on the fact that we were created in God's image. We were created in God's image. And so God is the ultimate righteous one. And so when God looks at us, he sees, for those of us who believe in Jesus, for those of us who have put our faith and our trust in Jesus, when God looks at us, he doesn't see our dirtiness or our sin, but he sees the righteousness of Christ. And our value comes from him. Those society doesn't value are nevertheless made in God's image. Just because someone is lower in society, whatever that looks like today, doesn't mean that they're not made in God's image. I was, uh, several months ago, I was talking to a group of students at Clemson, and I was thinking back to my time at Clemson, and I was thinking of 
you know, I was, I was tell, teaching, it wasn't this passage, but I was teaching something similar to this. And I was thinking, who are the low in society at Clemson? And what came to my mind is parking services. If you, if you went to Clemson, you know that, like, if you, if you, parking is very challenging at Clemson. And if you went there, you know that it's challenging to park there. And no one likes parking services. They drive these little, um, I think, actually, they do this in Greenville, too. They drive these little, like, electric go-kart-looking cars. And I feel like two people could pick them up and flip them over on their, you know, upside down. And at Clemson, I always thought to myself, like, I would like to just push one of those things over because I just didn't like parking services. No one does. Just an example. I think parking services are the lepers of society in Clemson, at Clemson. <laughs> I don't know. But just think about in your life, whoever, whoever you value the least, for whatever reason, uh, Jesus, they're made in God's image just as much as you are. And so that's where their value comes from. Again, biblical view of children was not pure, innocent, and sweet, but needy, dependent, small, and insignificant. That is how we should come to God. That's, what Jesus is, that's the point Jesus is making. We are called the children of God. We should trust him. We should come to him with our hands open, needy, dependent, knowing we can't do it on our own, small and insignificant, fully trusting him. I was thinking of an example of childlike faith in my life. This is not a perfect example, but when I was a kid, I remember there was this lady who was a really close family friend, almost like an aunt, and she used to do this trick. I remember it. I was maybe three or four. And she would have two, a penny in one hand, and she would put it in my ear. And then she would, like, make it disappear in her hand. And then she would reach around to my other ear. And, and then she'd open her hand, and there'd be a penny there. And, like, I thought she was magic. I thought that penny passed through my brain from one ear. Like, I fully believed that that was real. In the same way, we should trust God in that same way, but God's not tricking us. That's the difference. God, everything, all of his promises he's ever made are true. God's not tricking us. He has never made a promise he didn't keep. But I want to give this warning. Being childlike does not mean that we should be childish. Those are two very different things. Being childlike does not mean that we should be childish. Uh, we have 1 Peter 2, 1 through 5. We'll be throwing, up, throwing that up on the screen. Um, so I'm, I'm going to read that. It says, Put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So just because our faith should be like a child does not mean that we should stay childish in our spiritual maturity. We are called to to be sanctified, to continue to grow in our, in our spiritual maturity. As believers, we should do that. We shouldn't stay like a child. We shouldn't stay on, on the quote-unquote milk. We should grow, and we should become more like Christ. And so having childlike faith means that we should grow up in our thinking so that we grow down in our humility. We should grow up in our thinking so that we grow down in our humility. The more and more we grow to be like Christ, the more and more childlike we're going to be in our faith. The kingdom belongs not to the high in society, but to those who know they can't enter on their own strength, knowledge, or ability. It's only by grace alone that we have access to the kingdom. Like children, whether we realize it or not, we're dependent. We can't do anything apart from God. So we should come to him with our hands open, full of faith and trust 
that God has what's best for us. We have to acknowledge that our own, our own inability. We, cannot, we can't be righteous on our own. It's not possible. Yes, we should grow in maturity. We should be more and more like Jesus. We should strive to be holy, but we're never going to reach that perfect mark. We're not. We're human. We, we all have sin nature. As much and hard as we try, it doesn't mean we should, shouldn't try. We should. We should. But we're not going to be perfect. It's only Jesus that was perfect, and it's only by his righteousness that we can enter the kingdom of God. So that's our landing place. I mean, we, we see lots of things here, but our landing place is that when in order to enter the kingdom of God, we have to know that it's only through him that we can enter his kingdom. It's only through him, not anything that we can do on our own power. That's what childlike faith is. Childlike faith is knowing that I can't do this on my own. There's no way I can do this on my own. I need God. I'm dependent. I'm dependent on God, and it's in his strength alone that I can enter the kingdom. Not by my own strength, not by my own power, not by being good enough, not by doing enough good things. I can never do enough good things. I can never serve enough soup kitchens. I can never encourage people enough. I can never read my Bible enough to be perfect. It's only through Jesus Christ that we have righteousness, that we can enter the kingdom, and that's the gospel. Uh, I think a good illustration, think about, you know, I know in, in this day and age, you don't really go in the bank that much, but I remember as a kid, before mobile banking and all that kind of stuff, you know, going to the bank with my mom. And just think about the child who their mom pushes the child into the bank in the stroller and they're waiting in line to, to, be, at the, to be at the front and the child's sound asleep, not a care in the world, but everybody around them stressed out about finances, about, you know, about their life. But that child completely trusts that their parent, that their mom is going to take care of them and that they have everything they need. That's how our faith should be. In a world where everyone's trying to do things on their own, in a world where there's so much anxiety, in a world where there's so many things going wrong, we should have that, that trust and that dependence on God. Knowing, hey, it doesn't matter, I can't do enough. It's only through God that I have access to the kingdom. So we should be, we should be like the child, trusting God completely. If you've never done that before, if you, if you don't, if you struggle with that, we'd love to talk to you. We'd love to have a conversation with you over coffee and share how we came to that point in our lives. I know anybody who's a believer would love to have that conversation with you if you've never came to that point. It's not easy. Sometimes, you know, we fail. There's moments where I know that I don't trust God. You know, there's moments where things are, a couple weeks ago I threw a bottle across the kitchen because I, I couldn't get my baby girl to take the bottle, you know, moment of anger, couldn't, couldn't control the situation, but you know what? Those things happen. We, we have those mistakes. We have to trust, we have to trust that God's going to take care of us. Small things, big things, knowing that no matter what we do, it's never going to be, we're never going to be able to obtain that level of righteousness that Jesus obtained on our behalf, and that's the gospel. So kind of a short but sweet passage this morning, but I think it's a huge lesson that we all can learn, that we all can take and that we all can apply to our lives this week. So I'm going to pray us out, and we're going to have, have communion. Father, uh, again, thank you so much for teaching us, Lord, for giving us your word so that, we can, so that we can know, Lord, we can learn your lessons. Lord, I just pray that you would give us childlike faith this week, Lord. Not childish faith, Father, but childlike faith, that we would grow, Lord, in our dependence on you, Father, and that we would grow up in our thinking so that we can grow down in our humility, Father. Help us to do it. It's hard, Lord, but give us that dependence. Help us to trust you. 
Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen.